So it was back on January the 12th. Um, I can't remember who was preaching here at Estevan Alliance Church, but Sharon and I were worshiping at the church we attend in Regina. And uh, Pastor Randy, our pastor there at Prairie View Community Church, uh, his sermon that Sunday was on the book of Habakkuk. And as he was preaching on part of it, I had this idea, I wonder what it would be like to just kind of read through the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters. Uh, a straight read would probably take maybe 10, 12 minutes. And as Randy was preaching, and for a variety of reasons, things were sort of clicking, and I thought, I wonder what it would be. AGM Sunday, it's kind of a different Sunday. It's kind of a unique time in a, in a church's life. And I don't know, just while Pastor Randy was preaching about this hidden, buried, rarely talked about book, rarely uh, referred to book in the Old Testament, this sort of unknown prophet. Uh, the first challenge is how, how to spell his name, right? Do you spell it with two B's or two K's? And uh, it just takes a little bit of practice, and eventually you realize it's one B and two K's and then a final K. But so I just had this idea that let's read through Habakkuk, on Sunday morning, February 24th, and I'll make some commentary as we go. Uh, some interesting things related to ourselves as a church family, but I think also for, I think personally, I think there are some connections that we can make personally with this. And I kind of hope as we go through this this morning, you've already seen the, the, the screen, where to find it in the Bible in, your, in the pew. If you want to use your own Bible or you want to work off your phone, that's fine. Um, the hard part and we'll be reading through using this Bible. I am so used to underlining and highlighting and following the threads of words and terms that it was a good exercise for me to kind of trust my memory to the Holy Spirit and not just my own little markings and codes and that kind of thing. But I hope a couple of things might happen here this morning. Um, I would like to think that you might learn something just about the Old Testament. Some, the Old Testament is sort of the forgotten part of the Bible. And uh, word is that it's dying in terms of how much we as followers of Jesus really pay attention to what God said in the Old Testament. So hopefully you might learn something about the Old Testament this morning. Hopefully you'll learn something about God. And the songs that Rick has chosen this morning reflect some of the phrases, some of the themes, some of the threads that come up in the book of Habakkuk. And hopefully as you hear some of those echoes again, you'll know where they came from. I would like to think you might learn something about yourself as we learn something about the prophet as we look into his heart and into his soul. And I would hope that you might learn something about God's world. Over the last few Sundays, um, one of the songs we've sang a few times, by my request, is This Is My Father's World. And I hope you will learn something as we look at this obscure prophet, uh, something about God's world in which we live today. Now the situation... There's two ways to kind of figure out Habakkuk's situation. One is to give you a chart. So here's the chart. Kind of puts you, where is Habakkuk? You might recognize some name. You'll recognize some of the prophets, Isaiah, Micah, and so on. Some of the big prophets, Jeremiah. So Habakkuk just kind of comes on the scene after Jeremiah. You may or may not recognize some of the kings. Uzziah, who was the king uh, during part of Isaiah's uh, term as a prophet. Uh, you might recognize Josiah. Uh, and the color code tells you he was a very good king, Hezekiah, during the time of Isaiah as well, very good king. So that's kind of where um, Habakkuk comes in sort of the, 
the, um, the role and, and the timing of the prophets and the prophets that followed him. Uh, Ezekiel came after, Daniel came after, and so on, down to uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi. And so that's the, that's the setting. Now, if you see on the, your right-hand column there, the northern tribes, the northern tribes of Israel, Israel was made up of 12 tribes, the northern tribes had been taken away captive. The Assyrians, which is Syria, uh, north of Assyria and Azerbaijan and across over to Turkey, the Assyrians had already taken captive the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom, which is the tribe of Judah, was kind of, they, they were still going on as usual. Good kings, bad kings, very good kings, very bad kings, and so on. But the northern tribes had been taken captive by the Assyrians uh, over a hundred years before the time of Habakkuk coming on the scene. And that was, not, that was not a pretty scene. Now another way to look at this in terms of names and timing, and so on, there, there you see the dates down the one side. Another way to look at that is with maps. Me, I like maps. Uh, geography was my major in university, and I like maps, and I find maps very helpful. So here's another way of looking at sort of Habakkuk's time. The Assyrians, the northern part there, uh, Turkey, uh, over to the Caspian Sea, Azerbaijan, the Silk Road, we call it in our uh, uh, five S's of, of the alliance. Um, that was the one in the northern kingdom, kingdom uh, of Israel, the 11 tribes, the 10 tribes were taken captive, and then the red is Babylon. So Babylon is, how's your news today? Babylon is where? What's, what country is that today? Iraq, right? So that's Iraq. So that's kind of where the Babylonians are going to come on the scene here during, during Habakkuk's prophecy. So that gives you a bit of a context for timing, location, and context for uh, Habakkuk's prophecy. We know nothing about Habakkuk. We know nothing about, he doesn't appear anywhere else in the Old Testament. This is the only representation of him, the only um, provision of, of his contribution uh, to what we call the Old Testament. So let's get into it here. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1, page 863. The prophecy that, that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. Now what's interesting about Habakkuk is the title I gave to the sermon this morning is Habakkuk is actually a voice for the people. Usually the prophets, when they come on the scene, they've got a word from God and they're dishing it out to the people. There is something the people of God need to hear from the, their prophet that God has sent to them. This is a little different. The way Habakkuk is, is set up, Habakkuk is, is going to be coming to God. He's, he's bringing a word from the people to God. He is kind of the voice for the people. Very unusual. And maybe that little twist might get our attention a little bit for what Habakkuk has to say. Chapter 1, verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen or cry out to you. Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me, and there is strife and conflict abounds. As Pastor Randy was preaching on Habakkuk back on January 12th, I was working with my New Living Translation. My New Living Translation... Here's how they translate the end of verse 3. Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. That sound familiar? Do you ever read the comments on the blogs that you go to? 
You read the, I mean, even the sports stories and the, and the comments that follow the stories, it, it's nothing but anger and bitterness. And I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. And then those sports shows that we watch, right? It's, it's the two um, commentators just kind of arguing back and forth with, with each other. What's the one called? Pardon the interruption? Is that the one? And they're just, they got their own point of view and they're just back and forth and whatever. I, it, it, just, it just struck me as I read it in the New Living Trend. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. I'm not even talking about our families. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk's first complaint, his first cry out to God is almost as a representative of the faithful in the, tribe of, in, the, in the nation of Israel, the faithful in the tribe of Judah. Habakkuk is speaking on behalf of what we sometimes call the remnant. Because with the, as you saw the list of bad kings and very bad kings and so on, there was always a faithful few who stayed true to the Lord. And so as Habakkuk's sort of prophecy opens up, he is crying out to God, and it's more of an internal injustice. It's more of an internal uh, violence. It's, we'll get to the external violence and the external injustice in just a moment. But he is crying out on behalf of the faithful in Israel who see all this violence and injustice and wrongdoing and destruction and conflict all around them internally. And if you know the history of the nation of Israel, you know that that is a constant sort of cycle. Good king, bad king, good response, bad response. And so Habakkuk's first complaint is internally motivated on behalf of the faithful, on behalf of the righteous, on behalf of the remnant of the people of God that still want to see God's promises fulfilled. Verse 5, the Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if you were told. In other words, paraphrase, you didn't see that coming. I am raising up the Babylonians. Chaldeans, it says in some translations. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. If you want a picture of the Babylonians, uh, I was trying to think. So I went back to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And if you can think of the army of orcs just sweeping through the, la- the, the, the countryside or your own version of, of something of this, this horde of conquerors just laying waste to everything in their path. That, that's what you've got here is God's picture about the Babylonians. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. Almost think Peter Jackson used some of that imagery for some of that stuff in Uh, Lord of the Rings. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. 
Then they sweep past like the wind and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So Habakkuk's complaint is, God, what are you going to do about all this violence we see internally in, in the tribe of Judah, in the nation of Israel? There's your own kings, your own leaders, our priests are not following your word. And Habakkuk's cry on behalf of the remnant was, God, what are you going to do? And God says, well, have I got, have I got news for you? Uh, something you would not expect. And here he's going to use the Babylonians as his cleansing, as his discipline for the injustice and the violence and the conflict that abounds within the people of God, within the nation of Israel. He's going to take somebody from outside who is even notoriously worse and a worse reputation and he's going to use them to cleanse his own people. You see, the people of Israel had this sense that when it came to blessing and cursing, when it came to promise and judgment, the promise and the blessing was for them and the judgment and the cursing was for everybody else. They had the sense that, boy, we're, we're protected, we're secure in these promises that God has for us and it's always going to be the other nations, it's always going to be the Gentiles, it's always going to be those who aren't part of the covenant people of God who are going to pay the price. And even when they were wrong, and even when they were in the midst of these bad kings, there was this sense, it seems, in the, in, in the, in the nation that, well, we're protected by God's promises. Doesn't matter how we live, doesn't matter how we act, doesn't matter what we do in secret or in private, we're protected. Like, because we're chosen. That's why this is such a surprise. That's why God says, I'm going to do something you guys never even thought about. And that, that leads to Habakkuk's second complaint, chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk's second complaint. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish? It's almost like that could be a question. Like Habakkuk just can't believe it that these Babylonians, this people bent on destruction and, and very much just, they just live according to the way they want to live and everything is for them to be gobbled up. This is your plan? Verse 13, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And so the question is, how, how in the world can you use the Babylonians to accomplish your purposes? This is so contrary. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Because what would happen, right? When, when the Assyrians came into the northern kingdom, when the Babylonians are going to come into the southern kingdom, they're not going to say, are you, are you the righteous people of God? Are you the sinful people of God? They're not going to, there's no way to, they're just going to come through. And, and like the, the descriptor says, they just come through like a horde and they just swoop through and wipe out everything. They're not discriminate, non-discriminate destruction. So the faithful, the righteous will be punished with the unrighteous in Israel. Last part of verse 13. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? 
You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. It's an interesting picture. I just come across an article about a, a pirate fishing trawler uh, that just recently got caught. They'd been looking for this pirate fishing trawler for apparently about 10 years. They found it somewhere over in the Sea of Malay near Sumatra. It's a 570-ton fishing trawler, which is huge as far as fishing trawlers are concerned. Uh, it went, it's gone by a variety of names. It's called the Andre Dolgov. It's called the STS-50, a.k.a. Seabreeze 1. It's had a variety of names, and they've been, uh, the Maritime Police, Interpol, and whatever, have been trying to track down. Apparently, this ship, when they finally caught it in the Sea of Malay, it had 18, 18 miles worth of nets in it. Eight, 18 miles, that's almost halfway from here to Stoughton, I think. This one ship had 18 miles of net. Apparently, one haul from this ship was worth $6 million. And it, 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 the net just kind of hits the bottom and just drags and scoops up everything, right? And it just, just collects it all, and, they put it, and then they sell it on the black market, or they sell it all over the place. And, they just, and so as, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about this pirate fishing vessel and the destruction uh, that it caused and apparently 20% of fishing is uh, illegal. 20% of global fishing is illegal, and that's just not even the tip of the iceberg. So this wicked foe just, just uses this net and is going to scoop them up indiscriminately. Verse 16, page 864. Therefore, the owner sacrifices to his net. He worships his net. He worships his boat. He worships his catch. This is the Babylonians. They sacrifice to their net. They burn incense to the dragnet. For it's by their net they live. It's by their uh, destruction that they live. And so they worship their destruction and they enjoy the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? God, how, how can this be? How can you who are good, as Trish just said, if you are good, how can you let this happen to your people? In brackets, even though we know we're not good. We're not as bad as them. How can you use this outside force? How can you use this outside people? It's like God using ISIS. It's like God using ISIS to discipline his people. Something outside of God's... Um, Chosen ones, you might say. So that's Habakkuk's second complaint. Basically, how in the world could you do this? It just doesn't make sense. From what he knew about God, what he understood about God, when he asked about how God worked, he said, this just doesn't make sense. So what's he going to do? Chapter 2. Here's what he's going to do. He, he's kind of overwhelmed. It's almost as if he doesn't know what to say. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, and I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He's going to wait. 
but he's also going to take a little different perspective. He's going to go up on the ramparts. He's going to get a little different view. He's going to go above ground level. He's going to go above ground zero to get a little different perspective on this conundrum that, that he's, he just does, it doesn't make sense. How can God do this? You know, and with all his complaining, Habakkuk's in very good company. I don't know if we know this when we get mad at God or get distressed at God or get a little twisted with God about things. Habakkuk's in very good company. Job would be a classic comparison of Habakkuk when something happened to him that didn't make any sense. Um, Jeremiah would be another one. He didn't just complain. Jeremiah didn't just complain. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jeremiah didn't, didn't, didn't just complain to God. He actually accused God of being a liar. He called God a deceitful brook. The psalmist, regularly throughout the psalms, the psalmist has this cry out to God. So Habakkuk's in very good company. And kind of like Job, he just, okay, I'm just going to sit and wait and hear what God has to say. But he's going he's to take it up a notch in terms of perspective, right? He's going he's to have a different view. And he allows himself to have a different view by going up on the wall. Sort of get the bigger picture. He needs a new perspective. He looks beyond ground level. And so here comes the Lord's answer. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord's answer. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. Does that sound familiar? Writing something on tablets? Does that sound familiar? It should. So that a herald may run with it. There is a message to be proclaimed here. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. Twice the word revelation is used. Twice the word revelation is used. And I've said since the first Sunday I was here, when we talked about the vision statement of Estevan Alliance Church, how significant our vision statement is to reveal and embrace God and His Son, Jesus. What I liked about the vision statement is you don't hear that word reveal very often. It, it's, it's unique. It's not obscure, but it, it's unique. And it, it's so much of what God does to us and what He wants us to do to those who don't know Him. So here in Habakkuk chapter 2, the word revelation pops out at me twice. And you know, some of this might be what pops to me. It doesn't pop to you. And there might be some other phrase I just gloss over that may rivet your attention. And that's okay. And I encourage you to not just stay, stop there, but to follow that up and read. Reread the book of Habakkuk and reread some of the references that may be in, in your reference Bible or in your study Bible. So what pops for me may not pop for you, and, and that's okay. But I think, I think it's really neat. And another way to affirm Estevan Alliance Church and, and your vision statement. Write down the revelation. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It's a very good word. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. So Habakkuk gets this word from God after his second complaint. And, and here's, here's the picture, here's the image, here's the revelation, here's the vision that God is giving to him. And it starts off with a contrast. Because Habakkuk's question kind of been around, what, how can you use the Babylonians and, and here's your people, okay? 
And so there is this contrast, there is this comparison. Verse 4, God says, yeah, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by their faith. The righteous will live by their faithfulness. Now this verse 4 is a, is a huge verse in the New Testament. It's used in Romans chapter 1, it's used in Galatians chapter 3, and it's used again in Hebrews chapter 38. The righteous will live by their faith. Now a couple of things we need to talk about maybe first. This word righteous or righteousness. I think in church life we throw it around very easily and sort of nonchalantly, but I think, I think most people under the age of 30, really, they hear the word righteous or righteousness, and I think it's like that just goes right by them because it's not a word that's in our day-to-day language. It's a very big word in the Bible. It's a very big word in this verse as it's used in Romans and it's used in um, Galatians 3 and it's used in Hebrews. It's very important, but I, I don't think we quite get righteousness. It's one of those churchy words. So there's a couple of words that that put together with it. To be right, start with small, right, righteous, righteousness. And then you go just, justice, and justify. They're kind of all connected in, in the original Hebrew words. And in, in the New Testament Greek words, there, so there's right. And part of it's just that idea of being right. Just being right. God is right. God is true. And all, all those other characteristics that come from God. But, so God is the one who is right. And just, fair, true would be another word that fits in with that. And then you go from just to justice and doing the right thing. Justice is doing the right thing. Not just doing the right thing, me doing it for God, but me doing the right thing for the other person around me. So this whole thing of Jeremiah's complaint about injustice within Israel and injustice of the Babylonians who just indiscriminately waste anything in their path. They don't care. It's just, it's more about wiping it out than it is about using it. So this injustice, then, is what's not right, what's not fair, what's not true. And then justify, which is our New Testament word for being made right with God. Justification. But it all kind of hems around and, and comes from this idea of righteousness and righteous and so on, which I think simply points us back to the fact that God is true. God is the righteous one. God is the holy one. And then everything needs to align with him. And sometimes we forget, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that, that injustice, injustice, as the prophets talk about it, is just as important for the people of God to respond to as is our unrighteousness as sinners. Our unrighteousness as sinners before God, personally, is just as important as injustice in the world around us is just as important. And so you'll notice in the TNIV translation here, verse 4 says, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness. Some translations will say we'll live by faith. Some say by their faithfulness. There's a fair debate about what the word means here. Because the idea of living by faith, and Romans 
the Romans chapter 1 reference, if you got a reference Bible, it'll send you to Romans chapter 1. It'll send you to Galatians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 11. Those references to righteousness are about righteousness by faith as opposed to righteousness from works or righteousness by my good deeds or righteousness from my obedience to the law. So some translators will take this and say, the righteous will live by faith. And it's this idea of faith versus works. It's nothing I can do. It's nothing I contribute. It's nothing I do to make myself look better for God. It's only by faith in God that he is right, that he is just, and that he is true, and he will do the right thing. But Hebrews chapter 10 comes along and uses this very same verse to talk about our faithfulness, to talk about enduring, to talk about keeping on with God even when everything else is bleak and there is no evidence that God is even in the picture for us, that we will stay faithful, that we will stay true, that we will obey even though we have no indication that God is in our situation. Because by the end of Hebrews, what happens in, in the apostles' letter to the Christians is that they haven't yet... Uh, been persecuted to the point of shedding blood. They're, they're in a persecution situation. But the apostle says, you haven't yet uh, been persecuted to the point of shedding blood, but it's going to get worse. Will you hang in there? Will you endure? Will you be faithful? Will you obey even though you don't have a shred of evidence that God's promises are going to come true because it looks exactly the opposite? So it's not either or. When it comes to faith, it's not either our faith in God and our demonstrated faith to those around us. It's not either or. It's a both and proposition. It's a both and relationship. And so that's the contrast. The one who is puffed up, the one who is arrogant, the one who is self-righteous. I've kind of always had my way of describing life with God and life without God. And in reading a book, I'm, I'm doing a presentation at, um, at our district executive committee in April. I'm doing a little five-minute presentation. So, so for those of you that have, I've given you two minutes tonight to talk about your ministry, I've got five minutes to talk about pastors and depression um, and pastors and suicide. And in one of the books I'm reading for that, he came up with a great phrase that I think helps. It just changed my, the phrase I used to use was, we can't make it on our own. And so that's why we come to God. Uh, Mark Maynell, in his book, When Darkness Seems My Closest Friend, talked about people who live in God's world as if it was their own. People who live in God's world as if... And that's, that's the difference. People who live in God's world as if it was their own. That's the first part of verse 4. They are puffed up. Their desires are not upright. They live in God's world as if it's their world. That's the Babylonians. But more than that. People who live in God's world as if it was their own. as opposed to people who live in God's world as if it's his own. There's two different ways we live, two different ways we function, two different ways we react, two different ways we respond. And so the contrast here is those who live in God's world as if it was their own. Let's see what that sounds like. Verse 5, Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. So this is Babylon, and, and just that destructive horde, the way they went through the world, but it's also anyone who lives in God's world as if it's their world. Will not all, sorry, will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. 
pressuring other people to get what they want, using some kind of leverage, some kind of power to get what they want from other people. Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. At some point, the worm is going to turn. Because you've plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will one day plunder you. And that's exactly what happens. Assyria is plundered by Babylon. Babylon is plundered by Persia, Iran area. Persia is plundered by the Greeks. The Greeks are plundered by the Romans. And on and on it goes. And so do those people who use other people for their own ends. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Don't get too literal here. It's not about city builders. It's not about towns. Not about nation builders. It's about anyone who builds their life with bloodshed or builds their life with injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Ah, here's the ray of light. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk didn't invent this. Isaiah said it before Habakkuk did. And the psalmist has said it even before Isaiah did. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. I hear Noah in the background here. Noah and his daughters-in-law. But don't just, right? Don't just leave it there. Look around us. Look around us. Verse 16, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. So God is saying, okay, Habakkuk, don't worry. Babylon's turn will come. Babylon's turn will come. And so whoever else is exploiting or manipulating, their turn will come. But the unanswered question is when? You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup of the Lord's right hand is coming around you. You know when Jesus is in the garden and he says, let this cup pass from me? That's very much related to the cup of judgment. That's what Habakkuk's talking about here, the cup of God's judgment. The cup from the Lord's hand is coming around you and disgrace will cover your glory. Your turn will come. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Not just human. Animal. Vegetation. There is payback. God is righteous. God as the creator. There will be payback. Of what value is an idol that someone has carved or an image that teaches lies? For those who make them trust in their own creations. They make idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Silence. 
The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. As the Lord rehearses sort of the punishment on the ungodly, there is this reminder that not only woe to them, there is almost this woe to me. The Lord is in his holy temple. And so there is an element here, I think a word to Habakkuk, like, yeah, your complaint, some say he crossed the line, others say he didn't. But it's like, same as Job, right? End of story. When he hears from God, it's like, everything I've said doesn't matter. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And so then Habakkuk responds with a song. Habakkuk responds with a prayer. It's, it's a prayer, it's a song, it's a psalm, P-S-A-L-M. It, it's a psalm of Habakkuk. It's, it's poetry, it's, it's music, it's prayer. For some of us, prayer is our outlet. For some of us, music is our outlet. You find that one song, it's your go-to song. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He's my defender. He's my rescuer. So Habakkuk, it all comes together for him. This is the vision that God gave him in a song. Verse chapter 3. A prayer, a psalm, a song of Habakkuk the prophet on the Shigian oath. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. You know what? Please stand with me as I just finish reading this. Just stand with me. If you're able, if you're not able, that's okay. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. But remember, not just not without being just and not without being righteous and not without righting the wrongs that have been done. Don't just jump to the end. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Oh, I don't know if you saw the sunrise this morning. I was driving right into it and it was awesome. The sun's coming up and all of a sudden there's these two sun dogs on the side. And it's like they were just wrapping the sun in its arms. It was it was awesome. And I had to put the visor down. I felt like such an idiot. <laughs> but it's like, I had to. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. And if this stirs up any pictures, it's, it's the Exodus, folks. This is, this is the deliverance from Egypt. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Christian in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. These were enemies of Israel that had at some times apparently won the day. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers and the mountains saw you and they writhed. 
Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. So we've gone from the Exodus to where? We've gone from the Exodus to the resurrection. That's the telling story. That's the truth behind God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. We still ask why, we still ask how long, but that's the evidence. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his arrows stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. You'll recognize the psalmist in those verses. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come to the nation invading us. When Habakkuk says that, he also knows that calamity is going to come to him first. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, take whatever you make your living by and replace those words. Fig trees, grapes, vines, crops, fields, food, sheep, cattle. Take whatever you earn your living by. Or plan on earning your living by and replace them with those words. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. For the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You don't want to get kicked by a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And all of this is for the director of music to be played on string instruments. The word of the Lord. Rick. Rick. 